Hi, good morning, y'all. I'm Tana Marks, uh, married to Trenton Marks, my little redheaded son, Bob Remington. We are all part of the Roar Community Group. Um, this morning, we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, the widow's offering. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The grass withers and the flower fades, and the word of our Lord stands forever. Thank you, Tana. Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you. My name's Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Odessa. Thank you for spending your Sunday morning uh, with us. If you're a guest, there's a connect card under your chair. If you take a minute, fill that out. Let us know how we can serve you, how we can connect with you, how we can get you plugged into the life of the body. Um, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Chad will bring you one. And if you're on your phone or your tablet, we use the, uh, the ESV. So again, if you're new, we've been walking through Mark the last 16 months or so, um, basically since the beginning of time uh, for Redeemer Odessa. And uh, Every now and then we get to a point, we do what's called expository preaching, where we're looking at books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and every now and then we get to a a text that uh, has the potential to maybe step on your toes a little bit or read your mail, and so I didn't intentionally set out to speak on money uh, and speak on this text, but here we are in our walk through Mark. We are going to have to deal with some things that can potentially be uncomfortable, and so we're just, we're just in, this, in this text talking about this widow's offering. So in my few brief years of pastoral ministry, one thing has become very clear to me. The two hardest things to talk to Christians about, to talk to church members about, are these two things. The way you parent your kids and your money and what you do with it. Both of these are really touchy issues for us. And a lot of us, definitely me, uh, can get really defensive about these things. And both of these things, if we are actually going to be honest with ourselves, will either directly reveal our idols or indirectly fund and fuel our idolatry. And so with that said, this is, again, just one of those texts where we're going to talk about money. And and my hope this morning is not to condemn you, not to make you feel guilty, not to heap loads of shame upon you. But I do really this morning just want to ask you to consider your relationship with money. I want to ask you to consider your habits with money and your stewardship of the money that God has given you. Because I believe that what you do with your money, and not just your money, with every gift that God has given you, but specific to our text this morning, what you do with your money communicates what you value. And more importantly, it communicates your beliefs about God. The Bible has a lot to say about our money, and if we're honest, a lot of what the Bible says about money, we don't really want to hear. 
But let's consider the words of Jesus this morning. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So this morning, church, let's all just humbly come before the text together and acknowledge a few things. Culturally, our view of money is not always helpful and it's not always healthy. So I want us to consider a transcendent view of money this morning, a view of money that's rooted in the presence and power of God. What if our view of money was, was motivated fully to the things of Jesus? What would change in your life if you viewed money as God intended for you to view money? Here's one. How much anxiety do you currently have around your money? Are you fearful that you don't have enough? I want to submit this to you this morning. A lot of us, probably all of us at one point or another, at various times and in various seasons in our lives, have our hopes set on things, have our security rooted in things that are temporal things. So I just want to call you back to Jesus this morning, first and foremost. And I also want to call you to be a participant in God's mission this morning in a real and tangible way. And so let's pray, and then we're going to jump right into this text. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord, I just pray for conviction where conviction is necessary this morning. Lord, that you would bring encouragement where encouragement is necessary. Lord, I know that fear, guilt, and shame are motivators, Lord, but they are terrible motivators. And so I pray that you would keep those things far away from your people this morning, Lord, that we would only see you crucified, risen Savior for us in our place. Lord, that we would want out of an abundance of thankfulness for the cross, Lord, that we would want to submit to your lordship in our lives, our whole lives, and that includes our money. Lord, I just pray that through your Holy Spirit this morning that you would move in the hearts and minds of your bride, the church. Church, I'd ask if you're willing that you'd pray for yourself, that the Lord would soften your heart to the things of him all the things of him, that the Lord would root out any unbelief in your life where you're not fully submitted to Jesus. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. Do a work in us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 41, it says, And he, that's Jesus, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a, a penny. All right, so just for some context, I want to point us back to Jesus' teaching in our text last week. Uh, if you'll back up a couple verses in your Bible, uh, beginning in verse 38, it says this, And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses for a pretense and for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation, not a combination, condemnation. 
So our text today is last week's text acted out in real time. Our text today, we see Jesus and he sits down with the text says opposite of the treasury, like he's across, across the road looking in, and he's observing all of these people and they're coming and they're making their offerings. Keep this in mind for a second. In the preceding paragraph, uh, Jesus calls out the religious elites for exploiting widows for huge sums of money. He says they devour widows' houses. Instead of caring for them, they show up there at their homes and they act with some level of entitlement towards these women who need to be comforted. And instead of comforting them, instead of caring for them, they extort money from them. And so Jesus is watching all of these people, and they're coming to the treasury to make their offerings. So these offering boxes are like trumpet-shaped receptacles. Um, They're called shofars, like if you've seen a a ram's horn, like uh, it's that kind of thing. And the bigger gift you made, the more noise that the receptacle would make, and the more attention you would draw to yourself. So the text says that there are many rich people showing up at the treasury, dropping in large sums of money. The rich people, the powerful people, the influential people were showing up and putting in a lot of money because they could give a lot of money. And it was impressive to the crowds that they were gathered around to observe this spectacle. It was like a show for them. But what about Jesus? After we've seen the religious and rich elites drop their money in, we're introduced to this poor widow. She comes in and she drops two small coins. Our English Bibles render this as a penny. In the Greek, we have this unit of of money known as a denarius. A denarius is the equivalent to like one day's worth of work, a day's wage. And so what happened was this woman drops in, according to commentators, one sixty-fourth of a denarius, one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. So if we adjusted this for inflation in our times, it's probably like one ninety-sixth of a of a day's work. You can feel the visible contrast between the wealthy elites and this and this poor widow. On the one hand, we have these wealthy people making a big deal of themselves, making a big deal of their statuses, giving stacks of money with a lot of ceremony. And then you have this little old lady who shows up without any of this. She quietly goes, drops her two coins in the offering box, and she goes on her way. I'll maintain this. Based on what I know about this culture at this time in history is that not only is this woman apparently very poor, but she is also a widow and she is also a woman. Three things that are working against her culturally speaking and yet she is faithful to show up and she is faithful to give. And Jesus takes note of this. One thing we should all take note of here is Jesus sees what we give. And having noticed this, Having noticed this woman in true Jesus fashion who always seems to notice the individuals who are marginalized in society, Jesus sees this woman and he calls his disciples to himself. And look at what he says. Verse 43, it says, And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put, more, has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. 
But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Almost more importantly, or at least of equal importance than Jesus seeing what we give, Jesus also sees why we give. Daniel Aiken says this, With piercing divine insight, Jesus saw both the gift and the heart, both the act and the motive behind the act. He knew knew those who gave only because others were watching, and he knew those who would have given if no one was watching. And then once again, Jesus turns the value system of the world completely on its head. This is not the main thrust of this text, so just as a little brief aside, I do want to point out the stark contrast to the scribes in last week's text and Jesus today. Jesus is showing us the heart of a loving Savior. He's showing us his care for widows with his words. He has just denounced the scribes for devouring widows' houses, for extorting their money, for robbing them. And then by his example, he shows us that we should honor widows. And he shows us how we really should treat widows. Help and honor should be our posture towards the marginalized in society because they are people made in the image of God especially widows and orphans. This is so important to Jesus that he actually is rebuking the scribes in last week's text. He's rebuking those that seek to hurt widows. Jesus is tender and compassionate to all. And how do we know this? Well, we know this because there's a cross. We know this because there is a cross in which Jesus made a way to reconcile sinners back to himself. Prior to Jesus stepping in and redeeming our souls from an eternal punishment, our sin made us in debt to God and his wrath. And that debt was so steep that no amount of good works, no amount of money given, nothing we could do could atone for this sin debt. And God sends his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins and our shame and for our punishment, thus providing forgiveness and the cleansing of sins in order that we can have access to eternal life. Jesus has made a way for all to know the Father through the death of the Son. And this is including, but not limited to, poor widows. All are in need of grace Every single person is in need of the grace and mercy of Jesus. And what's more, Christ's creation, people made in his image, are the object of his love and the object of his compassion. And as followers of Jesus, we must demonstrate his love and compassion for us by our love for others. So let's get back to the text. What this widow has just done was so radical and so noteworthy that Jesus felt it necessary to call his disciples around him. He's like, guys, come here, team meeting. I need to show you something. I need to draw your attention to this. Every time Jesus has done this in the gospel of Mark, it is always super important when he does it. Jesus says, this lady has contributed more than anyone else. But how is this possible, Jesus? 
That's not even close to the amount of money these rich folks were dropping in. Man, but in Jesus' view, these two coins were as precious as rare gems. All of these other people are giving out of their overwhelming abundance. And she's giving to God out of her poverty. She's giving to God out of her neediness. She's giving to God out of her complete and utter lack of resources. What a picture of humility. In a spiritual sense, if you are a believer in Jesus, you too are this old widow. We don't have anything to offer him. We too are poor and needy in spiritual poverty until he came and made a way for us to have a relationship with him. The only response then is worship and obedience through faith that was given to us by Jesus Christ in the first place. It would seem reasonable if we're just like taking an overview of this story. It would seem reasonable for this woman to keep one of those coins for herself, right? I mean, the text says she is giving all that she had to live on. But she gave both. More simply stated, she gave it all. She knew that God wasn't going to fail her. That his promises of protection, his promises of provision were enough for her. They were true for her. This God who would sacrifice himself for her salvation by becoming death in her place to save her soul. This God would most certainly provide for her earthly existence as well. So she sacrificed everything for the sake of following God. She gave in faith. And Jesus so lavishly poured out praises on her. And in short time, Jesus is going to lavishly pour himself out for her on the cross. So what about us? Jesus, nor the Bible, ever condemns wealth. However, there is a caution about wealth, and it's this. Money corrupts you. The love of money, I should say money can corrupt you. Uh, The love of money, Scripture says, is the root of all evil. That's why Jesus is commending this type of giving. The amount by no means is great. But the sacrifice of this widow was indeed huge. In her giving, she is communicating that she is not dependent on herself. But rather, she's dependent on God who gives. And she's dependent on a God who gives to us generously. Listen, giving what is comfortable to you, giving out of compulsion or out of duty instead of delight, that doesn't honor God. It only really honors ourselves. The rich in this text were not giving God their best. Their giving was comfortable. They gave in order to puff themselves up. And so let's consider a few things in this story. What's the purpose of our money? Actually, I think we could ask this about any gift from God. Our families, our careers, our houses, our cars, sex, anything. We could ask that about anything. What's the purpose? But since we're talking about money mostly today, we're going to stay with that. What is the purpose of our money? I want to submit this to you in the most gentle way possible. 
Your money is given to you in order that you honor God with your money, and then you enjoy him with it. In fact, every need you have, every physical need, every emotional need, or any other need you have are in place to draw you closer to Jesus. The purpose of faith in Christ, the purpose of our salvation in Christ, the whole purpose of being a Christian is to become more like Christ. In order to glorify God, who is worth and worthy of this glory? Therefore, the needs that you have, the actual needs that you have, the needs you have that you use your money to meet are in place to strengthen your dependency on Jesus. So it stands to reason that a proper view of money will lead to more faith in Jesus who provides for us. We need to look at our possessions in a new way. What would change in your life? What would change in the way you viewed your stuff and in your spending habits if you viewed them this way? And what if you said this, everything that I have belongs to God for his glory and for my delight in him? Because think about this. If you are a Christian, hopefully you have come to a place where you can say, my life is not mine. Therefore, not only does God supply us with the things we need for this life, but we are actually owned by God to be used by God. I think about this with my kids a lot. So they have a lot of stuff. It's partly my fault. It's also partly my mom's and my mother-in-law's fault, but that's for another day. Uh, My kids have a lot of stuff. For example... For Christmas, my son got a Nintendo Switch. Yay, yeah. Uh, And occasionally, my son will lose his Switch privileges. And his argument is like, well, Dad, you can't take that away from me. That's mine. And my response is, no, it's actually mine. I'm just letting you use it. Because I pay for this house And with that, I'm paying for the electricity that you need to charge the Switch so you can play Mario Kart. It's mine, and I can take it away from you at my discretion. My kids are given to me by God to care for and to steward. They belong to God. I am responsible for them and to them until they are out of my house And that whole thing's kind of changed my view of parenting. My kids are mine in an earthly sense. But really, they belong to God. God has given them to me. I feel this a lot because uh, we adopted all four of them. So, like, they were placed in my home through divine sovereignty for me to shepherd and to steward. And as an adopted child of God myself, I'm just a steward of my family. So think about it like this. As believers in Jesus, whose lives do not belong to us, we belong to God because we are purchased by his blood through his resurrection and sealed by the Holy Spirit. So, because of that, because of our position in God's family, our stuff does not belong to us. Rather, it belongs to God. So then, instead of viewing ourselves as owners of our stuff or owners of our finances we 
are called not to be owners of these things, but to be stewards of these things, managers of these things. And we are to manage the things that God has given us in a way that honors the Lord. We're called to be good stewards. A steward is the job of supervising or taking care of something to the glory of the Lord. So we're to be good stewards of our time. We're to be good stewards of our talents. We're to be good stewards of our bodies. We're to be good stewards of our resources. And as stewards, we will all give an account to God, before God, for what we did with his gifts. And not only that, we're called as people of God to live on mission for God. And what we do with those things that we have been entrusted with really speaks to what we actually believe both about God and our missional calling in this life. God has given us the things in order to build his kingdom, not our own. Look, nice cars and nice homes and vacation homes and lake houses and nice retirement accounts and fat bank accounts Those things are not bad. They are not bad in and of themselves. But if our security is in them, they will always fail us. Really good things make very terrible gods. The stock market can crash. Your house could burn down. Your stuff could get stolen. Man, these things are temporal. So it's the motive behind them that matters and to which you are accountable. And if you want to know what your motives are, if you want to know what your motives are behind acquiring these things, here are a few metrics. How much personal debt do you have for that car? How much does your vacation home pull you away from fellowship with God and his people? How much time do you spend working and not with your family in order to pad your bank account? Are you characterized by generosity? Are you constantly anxious and worried about how much money you have? Man, as good stewards, that's a privilege. That's a privilege to be entrusted with the things of God And by the way, as good stewards, we are called to leave legacies that are characterized by the generosity of Jesus to us, not our own little kingdoms. It's a privilege to be entrusted with the things of God for the kingdom of God. So at Redeemer Church, we ask our members to give. And look, we don't need your money. Yes, without it, Redeemer Church in Odessa probably won't make it, uh, But God doesn't need this church for his purposes to be accomplished. God doesn't need our money because in Matthew 16, he made the temple tax show up in a fish's mouth. God has invited you to be a part of his mission to the world. So I believe that God has positioned us, this church, here in this moment in history for his glory, but not so we can gather in the fun dome and have a church service that people are reached for his glory, for their good, and for his praise.
So when you think about giving to the church, I'd ask you, especially if you're a covenant member of Redeemer Odessa, I'd ask you to consider it an investment and a partnership in the gospel to reach the nations with the gospel. Man, our church gives a large percentage of our money away to uh, the Redeemer Network and Redeemer Network church planners and other missions efforts across the world. And we are able to fund those things. We're able to fund those initiatives through your giving and through your generosity. The leadership of this church gives as well. We're not asking you to do things that we are unwilling to do ourselves. The call from the scriptures, though, is a call to give and be an active participant with God through Jesus by his Holy Spirit on mission and in ministry, not just sit out there and be a consumer. And look, nowhere in the Bible is there a 10% rule because God already owns it all. Our giving should be generous. Our giving should be sacrificial, modeling the example of Jesus to us who gave 100% of himself by stepping out of the heavenly realms, humbling himself and becoming obedient even to death on a cross. Sacrificial giving is this. We give away. We give of ourselves and we go without so that God's kingdom will advance. Man, some folks give rigidly and mechanically 10% because a lot of us have been taught that out here in the Bible Belt. But this is not God's way. This is not God's way. God's way is that we would give with a prayerful and discerning consideration and contemplation as to what the Lord is asking us to give. I'm not going to guilt you into giving a minimum. That's between you and the Lord. So if you're giving, man, thank you, keep it up. If you're not giving or you're barely giving, I'd ask you to really consider why and ask the Lord to root out any unbelief in your heart and reveal any idols you may have. God is asking for your devotion. God is asking for your devotion to him, and that includes your finances, the finances that he has given you to manage. We give to God out of love for God because of who he is and what he's done for us. Jesus gave up everything in order to give us everything. Jesus gave up everything in order to give us life. Our response then should be an overwhelming amount of love and adoration to Jesus for the cross and the resurrection. Not a tight white knuckle grip on our dollars. 2 Corinthians 9-7 says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Man, our attitudes towards giving are, are the most important thing to God in terms of giving. It's important. It's more important than the act of giving itself is your attitude. If there is no joy in giving, then that's evidence of a deeper spiritual issue in which you need to ask the Lord to reveal in your heart and then you need to repent of. Man, if giving's hard for you or if you're one of those 10% legalists or whatever it may be, I'd just ask you to pray that God would help you see money the way he sees money and pray that he would change your heart. A lot of us just really struggle with contentment. Just me. 
Cool. Uh, man, we look at the stuff of others, we feel envious, or we feel entitled to it. I just want to remind you of the gospel that Christ supplies you through him by the cross and resurrection with everything you need through him. Consider this. Biblical giving is voluntary. And so we do that out of thankfulness. We do that as people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Christ is the source of every blessing we have in this life and with which we are then to respond in faith and obedience by giving back to him in faith and in obedience, to follow him in love and devotion, giving of ourselves, giving of our time, giving of our talents, giving of our resources in order that others will come to know him. Man, if you're not giving to your local church, whether that's here or you're a member somewhere else, I believe scripture would say that that's disobedience. Listen, there's grace for you, man. There's grace for you as there is grace for you with any sin. But consider the reason that we come together. We come together on Sunday mornings to worship God. And we do so with the totality of our lives. Our sin, which is disobedience to God, carries with it a consequence that deserves death. And Jesus paid that on our behalf. But when he saved us, he has opened our hearts, he's opened our minds, he's opened our eyes to this truth. We have been given a new heart through the blood of Jesus to fight against sin. And while we still sin, because we are going to on this side of eternity, God's grace by the Holy Spirit reveals this to us and leads us to repentance. And repentance is a kindness of the Lord to you. So if you struggle here, man, repent and trust in the provision of Jesus to you, not only for your soul, but also for your earthly means. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 says, he, he prays that God would give us our daily bread, which means God provide for our daily provision. And God is faithful to answer your prayers. God is faithful to answer the prayers of his people. So my encouragement to you, Christian, is a couple of things. Trust God with your finances. Because he cares enough for you, he loves you enough to die for you. He saved your soul for all eternity. Man, he can certainly help you with today. Listen, the gospel isn't behavior modification like the, the application of this sermon is to stop being bad with your money and give to the church. But perhaps I would just call you to consider your behavior with money. Maybe you don't need the new iPhone every time it comes out. Maybe you don't need to go to Target every time you get paid. You definitely don't need that car at 15 plus percent interest because you want it. And again, the gospel isn't behavior modification, but our behaviors do speak to our beliefs. 
So I just want to call you to consider where you not only need more faith in Jesus, but where you also just need help from the church. Do you need help making a budget? And do you need help with accountability sticking to the budget? We can help with that. And not as a way of guilt and shame, but because we love you and we are all in this together, struggling together, trying to follow Jesus together. I don't know what it is. I don't know where you need help with money, but I do know this. In a church this young and in a culture this indulgent, we could all really just consider our relationship to our finances. And we could all really commit to just letting Jesus be our Lord, even over our money. Listen, I just want to say this too, just in an effort to avoid any guilt or shame that I may be heaping on you in this moment. It is okay to enjoy the money that God has given you. It is okay to enjoy the money you have been blessed with. Money, like other gifts of God, are meant for his glory and for our enjoyment. Man, so if you're following Jesus, and if you are submitting towards his lordship, if your heart is inclined to follow Jesus, man, you can make that purchase without feeling guilty. But that means this. Here's some questions to ask yourself before making that purchase. Do I have the money? Not the credit, but the actual dollars to pay for this. Do I have the money, not the credit, but the actual money to make this purchase and still feed my family and to still keep my lights on and still allow this purchase to fall under the umbrella of physical responsibility? Do I have the money and not the do I have the money to not go into debt for this? I repeat, debt is not helpful to you. So keep that in mind. Can I afford this? And if this isn't going to dishonor the Lord, man, I think you're okay. Spend and enjoy to the Lord's glory. There's a lot of freedom here for you. Your biggest need has been paid already by God through Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus, God has canceled your debt. And now you just get to rest and enjoy him and worship him with all that you are. And I know some of you well enough to know that you may want to parse this out to the nth degree to see if this purchase is going to honor God and to see if you're okay to make this purchase. So here's another thing I'd tell you. Get some community in your life around these questions. Submit these questions to your community group before you go make an impulsive purchase and then say, hey, I made an impulsive purchase. Like, talk to your community group beforehand. Community, walking with other believers, helps us shed some light on our blind spots that we all have. Not just with our money, but certainly and including our money. Also, I'll tell you again that if your motives are to honor God and you make a less than optimal purchase for yourself, Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. God is bigger than our choices. So the question to just land on in all of this is this. Are you being a good steward of your time, of your talents, and of your resources? 
Consider the calling of Jesus on your life this morning. If we stop this morning at Jesus wants your money, then we're just doing a really horrible job of really considering the whole of Scripture. Just consider Jesus' calling to you. Jesus calls us, not just our souls to heaven, and not just our money while, while we live, but Jesus calls our whole lives to trust him as our Savior and to experience new life in him. He will complete our joy and change our desires when our faith is rooted in him. Stop trying to live for yourselves. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. If you're a believer in here, you are called to follow God with your lives. And that is a privilege to get to follow God with your lives. With everything. With your time. With your kids. With your careers. With your money. With your vacations. With your hobbies. With your interests. With your relationships. Everything. So submit to Jesus. Man, if you're not a Christian, I think you should still consider your relationship to money. Do you spend in order to try to fulfill yourself? Are you feeling empty and then you're trying to medicate yourself with purchases? Believers do that too. Jesus just offers you something better. He offers you himself. And he gives you everything you need and so much more through him. Consider Jesus. Let's be people who are like this old, poor, and needy widow desiring the glory of God through faith and obedience above all else. Are you following Christ this way? Let's pray.